Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 278 was recorded live March 31st, 2016. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, where we have plenty of water in the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we got we got a little bit of precipitation today. Yes, we did. I drove by a few creeks, and you do not want to be in them. They are muddy and over the banks, and it is coming, and it is definitely soggy. So I think that's going to negate any river diving for at least a week. Well, it, it kicked us in the butt for having our thirsty Thursday dive. We were scheduled for Pawpaw Lake. Oh, that's right. Uh, yes, but uh, I canceled it whenever the lightning was threatening to take out my computer. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw, I, I heard lightning for about two or three hours this afternoon. It, it varied because then I talked to uh, one of the guys in Niles and he said, well, it's looking good here. Then I talked to Dwajak and uh, they had the rain just coming in there. So in, after the first flurry, it turned out hey, bright blue. It's like, well, maybe I could go anyway. And then the second squall came through. So I'm just as glad I said no and canceled it. Yeah, it's coming through in waves. So we had, there's a, when I got out of work, it was sunny, but the pavement was wet so you could see it had rained a lot. And that's when I saw a lot of the creeks. And then just as I got to the robotics build site, it kicked up again. Quite a bit of rain. Yes, I'm sure it was warm and that helped warm the rivers up. Now, I wonder if, if our friends in California have gotten any rain. I'd heard that. San Francisco actually had rain a few weeks ago that went on for two days. Really? Yeah, which is unusual. They they said that you know there's you know, somebody who's lived there for thirty years says it was the hardest they've seen rain for that long ever. I just know that if they ever had ice on Lombard Street, that would be really interesting. <laughs> it would be. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we we do have some feedback from last week's question. We we asked people to let us know what they thought active scuba diving was and you continue to provide some feedback if you like to provide us feedback it's the show at scubaobsessed.com and that will get to us uh let's take a look and these are in no particular order the first one we had is from Lacey c says hey guys greetings from the deployed location in the middle east just listen to your podcast and you said you wanted to hear from people what they consider to be active divers i agree that someone who dives only once a year is hardly an active diver however i think there's some caveats to that i think if you only dive one time on a cruise every year you aren't active but if you dive once a year and it's on a dive vacation where you dive for multiple days or you do things to stay active and involved in the sport the rest of the year then you can be considered an active diver because you're trying to maintain your dive knowledge and stay involved in other ways listening to your show might be one such way i would also say that you should be active in other ways exercise i believe heart attacks are the number one cause of death in scuba I used to live in Hawaii, and I'm a paddy dive master. I'm in the Air Force and now live in Alabama. Diving is not as plentiful here as in Hawaii. You have to really seek it out, much like you guys. I listen to your podcast and divers seek each week, sink each week to keep me thinking about diving. To be fair, last year I spent four days in Florida, 
of four diving, four days diving in Florida and include one dive on the USS Oriskany. Highly recommended, easy, easily one of my top five dives ever. I also dove a local quarry in Birmingham, and a friend asked me to investigate the pond on his property, which had zero vis and 40 degrees temp. Sounds like your type of diving. I miss Hawaii, but my wife says I'm obsessed as well. My point is some people dive as a lifestyle. Some it's an occasional hobby. Others dive for occasional adrenaline rush. That comes because they're out of practice, and their heart races every time they dive once a year. I would likely claim they are active, but they're, but we all know we all know who we'd prefer to have as a dive buddy. Just my two cents. And then he had a P.S. Your show and Richards are the two reasons I, I can survive not diving in the Middle East. Keep up the good work and thanks for your effort. Uh, does he say what he's in the Middle East doing? Uh, you know, if if you're in the service, we thank you for your service and going over there. Uh, I, I have a a brother-in-law. No, I say brother-in-law, nephew, who uh, actually when he was stationed over, that's when he learned how to scuba dive. Was over in the Middle East. So what was you think? Sand. Too much sand for me. Yeah. And I appreciate the Alabama since I was stationed down there myself uh-huh. in Huntsville. And if you wanted to dive around there, be up by the dam. And that's where I took up caving was in Alabama. Yeah. So there are other items to do, too. Yeah. But I I, I agree. I, I didn't see anything in that I disagreed with him there. So I, let's to, to go back to what he said. If you dive once a year and it's a dive vacation, you're not active. Does he say how many you have to be? Well, he was just saying multiple dives when you're on a dive vacation, which yeah. makes sense. But his point that I really like, and looking at the other comments that they came across, the, the synopsis was there's a lot of things that keep someone out of the water more than they'd like. Like he said, deployments, medical restrictions, financial hardships, just a busy work schedule, school life, and like I said, life's little curve, curveballs. Mm-hmm. You can't always do what you want to do. A lot of times it's kids. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they're bad, but you got to spend your time and money on the kids. Yeah. Well, and then yeah, like that. And the other part they were talking about, there's no shame in not diving a lot because they're there in spirit and they still get it when it comes to oceans and adventure because they've been there, done that. They got the t-shirt. Uh, the other part they, Lacey said, when you're trying to maintain your dive knowledge and stay involved in other ways, you're still an active diver because mentally you're there. But everybody collectively said, you know who you want for a dive buddy. That's the guy who's not necessarily a, um, what do we call, fair weather diver. Mm-hmm. That's great because that's your tolerance. The key item is they're diving when it's fair weather. That's yeah. better than when they're not. Yeah. You know and, and let's read this other one from, uh, we had somebody else who sent something in. Christopher D. said, uh, hello, listen to your podcast. And ask to help people send in their opinions on what constitutes an active diver. My personal opinion, as long as you're certified, you get four dives, 20 feet, 20 minutes a year. That's good enough. And I say that someone in a completely opposite end of the spectrum, I live in the North Atlantic just about every weekend doing research, videography, and tech diving. I give several dive reviews as the start of the season for the fairweather divers that stop by the shop and only dive annually, semi-annually on vacation. There's no shame in that. They're in the spirit. They still get it when it comes to the oceans and adventure. There's a lot of things that keep somebody out of the water more than they like, the deployments, the medical restrictions, financial hardships, busy work life, you know, all that. Thanks for the awesome podcast, Christopher. And uh, he's a dive master out of the New York City area. So he's saying that uh, if you get four dives in, in I would call it 20 minutes, 20 feet a dive, you know, if it, as long as it's not a pool. Well, we've always said, you know, if you take the time to go out and put your gear on 
and you get wet for five minutes mm-hmm. and you get out, you practice all the necessary items of dress, making sure your gear is functional. Yeah. And, and you know, you did get wet. Doesn't mean you did something stressful. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, let me rephrase that. If you're out of shape, it could be stressful. Yeah. Well, and then even the distance. I, I think I would even grant somebody, because there's times where we have, you could do a tough dive in 10 feet of water. Oh, yeah. If you I'll have some current and you're grubbing around, <laughs> that's, that can be a workout. So uh, I agree. I mean, I don't think that it were, I mean, there's been dives I would log that were less than five minutes. I mean, if you just had bad, bad weather, I mean, you, you got in, you had the conditions, you learned the experience. So it, it, like you said, it's more the, the process of going all, if you went all the way through it, through it, did all your checks, got in the water and then got out. I, I would count that four. Well, and you and know, then we'll go out and have coffee and soup. What do we do? We basically have debriefing. what did you do on the dive? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. What, what did you learn new? What did you, what do you need to know better next time? So you're mentally preparing yourself and keeping from that aspect up to speed. Now does, so four, four dives, does it matter if the four dives are all at once or if they're spread out through the year? Well, he said four dives a year and you know, you get to it. Look, look up here. We've got maybe what four months of good wetsuit weather for mm-hmm. most people. If you dive once a month, you've got four dives in once a weekend. All right. If you dove every weekend, you've only got what 16 dives in. Yeah, I've, so well, you know when you get down to it, how many guys actually do sixteen dives a year? Unless you're in Florida or, or where the weather is really nice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys who don't. Uh, like like at work, I'll I'll use some people that I work with as an example. They, they they know I'm I scuba dive, so they'll come and and talk with me. I've got one guy who's who's a diver. Uh, he's certified, has his card, but he dives maybe once a year. You know, if he goes on a trip. And he gets someplace nights. And then when he does, it's only a dive. It's, you know, his trip, he's got other things planned and he can only get one in. Then there's another guy who, who will go on a trip. But when he dives, it would be like us going on a trip. It's two or three times a day, every day, the whole trip. But that's the only time he dives. He won't dive up here. It says it's too cold. So the, the first one, I mean, while you can say you're a diver, I wouldn't necessarily call him active. But the other one I think certainly would qualify. And you could even give him, I think you could even give him a pass. I mean, what if it, it spread out and it went a year and a half? I kind of like the four dives. I That number, it, it takes you away from just the casual haphazard to you've got to do some effort to get four dives in. Because you can't, that's, if you were doing a boat trip on a, on a location, that would be two separate trips. Because many of your boat dives are going to be two dive trips. Two tank dive. Or, uh, right, two tank. You, you, you'd, you wouldn't call that one dive though, would you? No, that's two dives. Yeah, I would, I would exactly. I would log it as so that would be so two, so two trips, four dives. But they're certainly not going to go and do shark teeth diving in black water and high current. No, no. Because you're four dives a year. I think that might be a little foolhardy, but I don't think that's what they would do. And I wouldn't want them, you know, doing the Ann Arbor Five. Uh, no, with with four dives a year. And there is a chart. And we, we, I should look it up. I, I've talked about it before. Where there's a rating system for a score. So maybe what we'll do is we'll look at that rating system and come up and, and I think they, they probably even have a number what they, what they would consider to be active. Uh, and then we have a, a third one. This is from, uh, Babe H. He says, let's get this out of the, out of the way first. Yes, that is my name, <laughs> Babe. And I'm happily married with a couple teenage kids. So I, I think what he's referring to there is that, that, that he, he's a, a male with, uh, the first name Babe. I'm trying to remember, wasn't there a uh, story? 
trying to remember of a man named Babe. Yeah, Babe Ruth. Oh, Babe. yeah, Babe Ruth. Uh, that could be. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, and as long as Babe carried the bat, I don't think you're going to laugh at him either. No, he he was he was pretty formidable. He, I don't I don't. He may have gotten teased a couple times, but I don't think it lasts long. Uh, so he says, "I'm a happily married man with a, oh, there it is. I'm happily married man with a couple teenage kids. I usually say all my life when asked if it was my name. I am on Facebook. He's uh, <laughs> what he's doing is he's talking about uh, why he he has had to use a different name on Facebook. I found your podcast." Uh, the end of last year, enjoy listening as much as I can. I'm a respiratory therapist and a diver. I live on the West Virginia-Ohio border in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I first started scuba diving in the mid-'80s and have been a respiratory therapist for 10 years. I'm dropping a line because I thoroughly enjoy listening to you guys, and I agree with you about the Triton. My personal opinion is as it's – oh, oh I, the Triton. He's talking about the rebreather. My personal opinion is too good to be true. My professional opinion is as a physically impossible. You both hit the reasons why it can't be possible. Pressure was on – one of the reasons, simply put, it's because our muscles will pull our chest walls well, uh, chest walls open, and pressure on the land atmospheric pressure scuba tank pressure pushes air into our lungs. Triton has no way to create the needed pressure. The other main reason is volume. The volume we bring, breathe brings in the O2 we need carries the CO2 we need to get rid of it. The Triton can't produce enough flow for the volume a human needs, even if the rest of the molecular physics worked. So there's my simplified reasons why it can't work. So I I agree with them on that. And we'll have a follow-up after after this. There's uh, Somebody else wrote an article. Um, next is the question, who's to be considered a diver? I went many years without diving because of lack of focus on my part. My life's many curveballs. I still considered myself a diver, but knew that I would just that I would not just go without getting myself up to date on training, fitness, and gear. I got my focus back a couple of years ago and really have been working on a life schedule to be a diver I set out to be many years ago. My son is scheduled to take this open water course this June. I'm really excited too. My dive buddy called me one day and handed and had booked the three of us at Julie's Underwater Lodge. Oh, uh, the Jules Underwater Lodge this year because he knew I'd always wanted to go there since I found out about in the late 90s. To keep myself on track, I started repairing and cleaning my 10-foot in-ground pool every week in scuba gear. I found that ensures my gear is up to par. I stay intimately familiar with it. allows me to test and familiarize myself with the new gear. My pool opens earlier and stays open longer than anyone else in the area because I don't want to stop for the season. As we do, we do as many dives in our area as we can without intruding on family time and, of course, work. We average a couple of months during the May to October months. So just a quick opinion and shout-out. I also like to, uh, also thanks for the podcast because I, I am now a home respiratory therapist and dive a lot. Uh, drive that, a lot. Oh, and drive a lot. Well, that's close. Uh, that windshield time is when I listen to any and all dive podcasts and books I can get a hold of. Stay safe, and I can't wait to hear the next show. Uh, Babe H. Well, thank you and and everybody else for giving us some feedback. Uh, I that certainly counts. And, and if you're getting in the pool, you're not getting. You wouldn't be. I wouldn't say it'd be giving you a wide variety. But like we had said, you're getting in the gear, uh, familiarize with it, get some practice, buoyancy. That's that that counts. Yeah, you're definitely current in the basics right mm-hmm. off the bat. Well, and because I've. They're second nature to you now. Yeah, and I've wanted to put in a, a pool here at home, and I would do the same thing. I'd, I'd just get my, my tank on my back, and I would just scrub the tiles with a brush underwater. Much more fun than messing around with that pole and the skimmers and everything else. Thank well, you. I appreciate getting the feedback myself, and it, it mm-hmm. really helps us keep a better open mind about what we think 
something is. Yeah. And we start talking to other people and it's like, oh yeah, that's another perspective I hadn't thought of or it's good to have different opinions. Yeah. And, and we're in our own little group. So we kind of have created our own culture of diving. So there could be other perspectives that have value and that we can learn from. And I'm sure there is. Appreciate the comment from all of you guys. So anybody else out there, give us some feedback. It's appreciated. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into Scuba the News. The first one up actually goes right well with that last one. It says, Triton Artificial Gills Got Funded on Indiegogo. Uh, the title is, Are These Artificial Gills a Diver's Dream or a Crowdsourced Snake Oil? Yeah. <laughs> Back in the... Uh, tail edge of 2013 tech enthusiasts came across the globe went gaga perpetual product excuse me called triton scuba mask it promised to deliver oxygen underwater like a pair of artificial gills allowing humans to explore the deep without tanks it's uh internet abuzz with dreams of breathing beneath the surf no tanks it was eventually dismissed as high-flying unobtainable concept that would never come to fruition breathing po- uh, product until a couple weeks ago that's when triton's creator resurfaced to launch the indiegogo campaign campaign that has already gathered more than $800,000 eager backer. Either technology is legit and the product is real, or these guys are so committed to this extremely elaborate hoax that they've developed prototypes, demo videos, a number of websites. Everyone, it's, so it's Triton, the future of diving, or just a, a high-octane snake oil. This is from digitaltrends.com. We were as perplexed as any would-be backer until we decided to swim a little deep. In addition to speaking with the mass creators, we touched Based on some of the country's most prominent chemists, engineers, and marine biologists for their take on a tech, or 99.9% certain the Triton complete and total bullshit. And here's why. And before we get into it, we talked about last week. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I do too. If you, if you want, just uh, look at digitaltrends.com. You could search on it. And we won't read the whole article, but we'll just kind of skim over the top. You know, the Triton, uh, the, the first thing is it claims it. Uh, claims to use two specialized filters to extract oxygen from uh, water. They said allegedly these filters use microporous hollow fiber, a real material comprised of billions of small holes that are smaller than water molecule keep and let keep the water out, let the oxygen in. They said it could remain underwater for 45 minutes. Sounds too good to be true. The key to underwater breathing is just sucking water through a porous membrane to extract oxygen molecules. Wouldn't somebody have figured that out before now? It seems highly unlikely these three guys have cracked the code of the problem that scientists and engineers have puzzled over for decades. And that's the same thing. If Look at a desalination plant. Desalination is expensive because of the energy it takes to push the water through the filter membrane. And that's still letting water molecules. If this thing's smaller than that, you would need even more pressure to achieve that, something that just would not be possible. And that's, this is, uh, they, they tried to email the, the founders. Uh, responses weren't very enlightening over email. Triton co-founder and CEO Saeed Kadilam Kadili, told Digital Trends he couldn't share any further information because the company hasn't secured any patents in this technology. It's worried that someone would steal the idea. <laughs> you can have prior product. You can do patents pending. I would think that with $800,000 now that they've secured, that they could at least attempt to patent some of this. We've already found information we can without jeopardizing another cop company can copy our product. It is easy to judge, but please understand this is our baby. We cannot risk it because there are some people that are skeptical about the technology. Some? Yeah, so they talked to an expert. They turned to Dr. Joseph uh, Bonaventura, Professor Emeritus of Marine Science and Conservation, Duke University, 
an inventor of the hemosponge, an artificial gill technology that was funded by the Office of Naval Research in DARPA back in the 70s. If there's anybody who knows that humans can breathe underwater, it's this guy, and he committed trite mask. His comments on the trite mask weren't particularly positive. Just to do the simple mass and overestimate, even, he explains, air saturated water contains less than one cubic centimeter of oxygen per liter. Take one cc of oxygen per liter of salt water, multiply it by the number of milliliters of oxygen we need at our basic metabolic rate. You do the math, that's hundreds of liters of water that would need to flow through the system just to get enough oxygen. With ba- basal metabolic rate of two liters of oxygen per minute, he calculates that's roughly 50 gallons you need to pump every minute just to maintain. You'd never do that with a mouthpiece. Unsurprisingly, it's the same conclusion many skeptics came back to as a triton circular. And then they say there's one other possibility. It's a chemical device. What if the device doesn't solely rely on filters to remove oxygen from the water? Triton's comments suggest that the mask has a special compound inside that blends the oxygen with a compound by a chemical way. It's hard to decipher exactly what the inventor uh, Jibayan Yeon means by that. But it does raise a question, could Triton be leveraging some kind of chemical trick to extract oxygen from water? It is difficult to make O2 molecules out of H2O molecules. It can't be done this way as easily. If it did work, it would make headline news. It would provide an incredibly simple and cheap way to solve the world. So uh, their conclusion is, uh, if you think this is real, don't. But somebody got $800,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you, I, I don't know if Indiegogo has rules against intentionally defrauding, but. There's many projects where you're giving them money for is to complete a prototype and maybe bring it to market. Many of these services aren't intended as a shopping cart, and unfortunately, that's what many people think they're doing. So they put their money in, and they're going to expect a product out of it. I just have a feeling that if it did work, the price was too cheap, and if it doesn't work, it's just a way of fleecing you for money. Time will tell. Yeah. So let's wait two years from now. We'll see what the answers are. This next one is from the San Diego Union Tribune. A San Diego scuba diver dies in New Mexico underwater cave accident. Shane Thompson became trapped in a cramped cavern and could not escape. Well-known and veteran San Diego scuba diving instructor died over the weekend during a rare exploration of underwater caves in New Mexico that had been sealed for 40 years. Shane Thompson, 43, was entombed overnight in a cave underneath the Blue Hole, a popular site for divers because of the lake's crystal clear water after being trapped in an accident on Sunday, according to the Guadalupe County Communicator. Thompson is one of several elite divers who went on an excursion with the ADM Exploration Foundation. The newspaper reported Thursday a group had received rare permission to enter the caves, but enclosed in 1976 after two scuba divers from Oklahoma got lost inside the labyrinth and died. Thompson and the team were using rebreather equipment that recycles rebreathe their air with oxygen and allows explorers to stay underwater for long periods of time. Diver Mike Young told investigators that he and Thompson were on our primary exploration looking for passages when he ventured through a narrow obstruction, a small chamber that was 194 feet deep, and Thompson followed. Shane was supposed to stay out for whatever reason and entered the cave. Santa Rosa police officer Mike Guna told the newspaper, at that point, that's where everything went terribly wrong. Young started to exit the area following a safety line, but the silt had been kicked up and was zero visibility. As he swam, Thompson pulled the line so forcefully it came out of Young's hands. He felt for the line in the dark. Thompson came up from below, and both divers were wedged in a narrow passage. Uh, Young swam down to turn around, but Thompson continued upward, took the wrong turn, and became trapped in what was described as an unmapped offshoot that led nowhere. By the time Young found Thompson, he had died. Guna said his body was recovered the next day. 
So that's just, just a sad story of what can happen. And these are experienced cave divers. I, yeah. Why would they make such a glaring error with that much experience? I'm not sure. You know, and these, and these, I, and they don't say in here, do they? I don't think they say anywhere how many dives they have, but these are, they have to be 200 plus cave dives, divers. So it makes you wonder. It shows that anybody can panic. Uh, and not being a cave diver, I don't know what the requirements is. Is one cave line considered enough? Because I've, I've kind of wondered this. It, it seems like a cave line, something that's, you know, things can happen. Lines can break, come loose. I know there's some rule in cave diving with tie-offs and how that works, but that is just scary. I think it's odd, though, that they think the cave should be sealed for good. That's unusual. So they said they think the cave should be sealed for good? Down at the bottom, yeah. So at the end of it, condolence for the veteran divers that poured into scuba board. Uh, Officer so-and-so said that Young told him he thinks the cave should be sealed for good. Recommended to us city officials never, ever let anybody back in those caves. Or given to me that day that these are the most dangerous curve, the caves they've ever dove anywhere. Well, do they say why? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he died, which is is tragic. But what makes these so dangerous? I mean, silt. A lot of caves have zero visibility in silt. Yeah. Uh, you know, currents maybe. I mean, I can understand. I could. You know, if you had a if you had a current, you can't swim against. Uh, that would be possible. But this just sounds like. It's tragic, and he's reacting to loss of a friend and fellow diver. But I, I mean, there's a lot of dives, caves where people are diving. It's it's part of what you sign up for when you take on that hobby. Well, they're also down 194 feet. That is, I mean, it's deep. But there's you look at well, a lot of the cave fatalities. Uh, what in Australia they have a lot of well, some of those caves down there. People are doing four or five hundred feet. No, I'm just saying the psychological effects at 194 feet are different. And on any given day, you can react different. Well, and that could be because he, he said he was puzzled why he came in. So that right there, when somebody goes against the dive plan, is there that could have been the the initial sign something was up. Yeah. And I don't know if he decided to call it or if he just was, because it, it isn't really clear at that point of the story, yeah. or they just continued on. And then here we have a Russian scuba diver. This is from the TAS.ru website saying that scuba diver was killed by a crocodile in Indo- Indonesian islands. Police of West Papua province have reported the discovery of a savaged body, 37-year-old Sergei Linkharv. I'm sorry for mispronouncing. The Russian embassy in Indonesia is looking for the family of the Russian diver mauled to death by saltwater crocodile of the Raja Amput archipelago. An embassy spokesman told TASS on Wednesday, police of West Papua province of report discovery of the body of a 37-year-old Sergei. He died from crocodile attack some days ago. He went missing on March 26th. That's something you don't hear a lot about. Well, no, it's sort of funny, though, that I had sent you uh, five pictures of the largest largest crocodiles. Yes. Uh, out, of, the, yeah, the, and, think, uh, out of the five, two of them are from Australia. Uh-huh. And actually, the longest one is Australia, so... Longong, L-O-L-O-N-G is the, what they call him. He's 20 feet, 3 inches. I take it that uh, he's not in Australia. That's in uh, Philippines in an ecotourism park is where he was at. But they captured him. 20-foot-long crocodile. Yeah. You have no way of competing with something like that. No, the pictures of it are freaking awesome. But we may get to that, at least get the website for it so they can take a look at the uh, monster crocodiles. 
Yeah. When I get the show notes caught up sometime, I'm, I'm expecting for August, I'll get those done. <laughs> and then out of Taiwan, they have a new shipwreck. And unfortunately, this one is making quite a mess. The ship left a, a lot of mess in the coast of Taiwan. The Taiwanese cargo ship, TS Taipei, recently broke apart and became stranded on the reef, on the reef near Shaimen uh, in New Taipei, Taipei City, causing a massive oil slick. More than 100 workers have been trying to clean up the maritime mess. Bad weather has hampered their efforts. Even if the oil stains can be removed swift, swiftly, massive deaths of fish and other marine animals in the area are expected due to lack of oxygen and water. Michael Lee, Secretary General of the Nonprofit Society of Wilderness, told uh, AFP, it could take at least three years for the local ecology to recover to some extent. More than a mile coastline has already been polluted since the ship ran aground on March 10th. Uh, I saw an article on this earlier. And I looked at it. So a guy on the surface there on the on the shoreline took one of his drones and did a nice shot uh-huh. of the beach area plus the ship that's in the background on this article here. And it's like, I do not know why they have not salvaged a lot of the containers off that vessel. You could take a jack-up barge parallel to it and offload a lot of those items. It also gave a listing of the, of the uh, contents. And I think there were five major categories, and most of them were really lousy chemicals that you do not want in the water. So you're, you're questioning why they're leaving these on the boat instead of taking them off. Yes. And I would have to, too, because if you look at it's been almost three weeks. Yeah. And why are they still sitting there on the vessel? Because you could come in. They've got they've got helicopters that are capable of lifting cargoes. Yeah. So you could have plucked them off the deck. Just you could even set them on shore. Let's. Yeah. They, you, well, the ones know. that are washed overboard, there's a, a catch-up area they've got where they're actually dragging the, the containers over. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was trying to find the pictures I had because they were they were actually darn awesome. And again, it made me think of why they didn't try to offload it. Is it they were afraid of if you started offloading, then uh, the ship would float again? I mean, is that a I don't negative? think so. It's cracked in the middle all the way through, right at the where it says TS lines, the S, and it looked very easily like you could get in there. I mean, obviously, depending on what the surf is doing at the particular time, but it seems like there was a lot of opportunities to uh, remove some of the containers. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I was trying to find the cargo list again that I had before, but you do not want that crap out there in your in your, in your your waters. Well, then how, how about this? This one's out of Palm Beach. Scuba Club Ouster makes way for real estate of development. The Scuba Club, a four-decade-old decade old fixture on the intercoastal waterway, is scrambling to find a new home. The club's landlord last week sold the site at uh, 4708 North Flagger Drive for $3.8 million. The new owner, an Indianapolis businessman, asked the Scuba Club to move out by Monday. The real estate deal reflects both the desirability of waterfront property and the ever-tenuous nature of old Florida business models. Scuba Club operated dive shops, dive classes, and dive trips on its 40-foot boat. Nobody will get rich, but we did okay, said J.D. Duff, the Scuba Club's general manager. Duff spent Wednesday packing up the shop's inventory of tanks, masks, and fins. They'll be in storage for a while while he searches for a new location. He doubts he'll find a spot that's quite so perfectly set up for dive operation. The Scuba Club's boat is docked out back, and the property's just a short trip from Palm Beach inland in the blue waters of the Atlantic. In addition to the shop and classroom space, 
The property boasts two pools, including a 16-foot deep tank where students practiced equalizing their ears. There's a steel, steel room where divers warmed up after chilly trips, along with a house where Duff lives. At its peak, the scuba club had 400 members. Dues were $400 a year, which entitled members to discounted rates on dive trips and a place to store their gear. The place is or was an institution because it's been here so long, Duff said. We'd certified thousands and thousands of divers. The scuba club was built in 1978 when a rusted hurricane... Shutter here and a missing window there. The club shows its age. Scuba Club is a dark room, a throwback to days and diver shot film during underwater excursion. Wow. So when they say club, they, they meant it was a club. So you bought a membership and that entitled you to the access. We're not getting the whole story here, I don't think. Well, I, it just seemed like for a couple of years they were doing very well to have access at a prime location mm-hmm. for a minimal cost. Yeah. Uh so what it sounds like is property values increased. Duff says he's been preparing for departure since 2014 when the former property owner, Kerry Jacobs, put the one-acre site on the market. A condo developer bid $4.2 million and began marketing units. So he knew it was coming. And the issue is that he just had no way of raising the funds to buy it himself. And it sounds like he didn't have any sort of agreement that, I mean, when when you're renting from somebody, you need to make sure you got some sort of stipulation that gives you more than a week. <laughs> Yeah, but you've got to be pretty dense if you, you know, someone's going to get $4.2 million for some property. Yeah. And again, it, it doesn't say anything about how long, like you said, what it, what they charged, what they paid. Mm-hmm. Well, let's even do the math. So he says $400 a year for dues. And at its peak, it had 400 members. So let's say it was down to 100 members. So that would be 400000 a year in dues? 100 members? Yeah. Or is that 40000 Trying to move my zeros around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, forty thousand. Uh, yeah, that's not a lot. And unless and you're doing a you... lot of business and a lot of tour groups, so it's probably slash club slash shop. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard model. I mean, we've seen it, and you sometimes wonder when even somebody down in a prime location can't make it go. I wonder what you got for the club. Do they say what? You know, what what does four hundred dollars get you? Well, they were talking about you could store your gear there. You got charters and stuff out of there at a reasonable rate and trips. Hmm. Yeah, because I thought about that model too, hangout place. I would expect, though, for $400 to have a little place better than a rusty shutter and a uh, steam room. Well, you know, it would be a good a good spot here in St. Joe, the Yacht Club. You know, if the Yacht Club had a diving division, that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? Oh, well, I would think so. Especially if it had a nice boat because there you're close. Don't have to worry about the bridges opening and shutting down. Yeah. Uh, it's a quick out, quick in. Yeah. yeah maybe and you got the Coast Guard right there to help you out. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you haven't been to St. Joe area, it's they got nice. It used to be the old uh, Coast Guard station, wasn't it? No, it used to be National Guard. Coast Guard station's been there forever. Oh, I, th- I thought Coast Guard had that as well. No. no. So that was National Guard that was yep. there? Yeah. And then when it wasn't National Guard, it just sat empty? Right. And then it was bought, and it is what it is today. Actually, it started out with another restaurant. Yeah, it was a brew pub for a while. Yeah. And then it became a bar and then a restaurant. But because uh, I want to say the uh, the reason why I thought it was the Coast Guard is I think the uh, auxiliary had it. I think after it did the little restaurant thing, mm-hmm. the Coast Guard auxiliary had control of it. What did they call that group? It's not called the Coast Guard auxiliary because a friend of mine was the, the head of it. And uh, he worked out this trade deal to the Yacht Club now, and they ended up coming out really sweet on the deal. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it was a case of, you know, people playing around with taxes and money and losses. Crap, I hate it when I can't remember. I can't do it yourself. Yeah. Power Squadron. That's what it was called. Okay. Which, that's like a, I think that's kind of like Coast Guard Auxiliary, isn't it? Not exactly. Or is that another club? I don't know the club. I've, I've given presentations to the Power Squadron up north. Uh-huh. And uh, they, they do training and safety inspections. Yeah. Items like that. Yeah, As a side note, I sent you, uh, just for yourself, if you wanted a link to the uh, drone video of that ship. Yeah. Those, just the still pictures of that is, is nice. Yeah, the drone pictures are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, dro- drones is the way now. Now that they've made them somewhat legal, as long as you follow the rules, uh, you're going to see even more of them. Yeah. Uh, then you had some articles from Dan, Divers Alert Network, uh, to diving an overhead cavern with half-empty tanks. Two in... Prudent divers learned cavern diving rules the hardware, hard way. 25-year-old female diver performed the second dive on a 63-cubic-foot tank, uh, which is about 9 liters, without refilling it. The dive ran out of air at about uh, 50 feet or 15 meters in an overhead environment. While exiting the cavern, breathing from the other divers, alternate second stage of divers became entangled in a line. While attempting to free themselves, the second diver also ran out of the air. The divers conducted an emergency swimming and ascent out of the cavern and made a rapid ascent the last 20 feet to the surface. Both divers inhaled water during the ascent. Upon reaching the surface, the divers given emergency oxygen and EMS responded to the scene. The husband refused treatment and the wife was transported to the hospital where she remained overnight for observation and then was discharged. Wow, that is extremely lucky. And then he refused treatment. Well, see, this is where you go is... You know, it's not whether you're a diver or not, but the key to me is, are you current uh-huh. and are you safe? So what they're doing is they're saying this is a cavern dive. So Correct. they were probably not cave divers. So they were just, because there's some of these, cav- I've done it before. We go down in Florida and you got some cavern dives and they're not technically caves, but you can't just pop up. Well, cavern diving is a specialty also, yeah. by the way. There's a rating for cavern diving. Mm-hmm. And you normally would get that before you got your cave diver. Right, it would it would be a natural progression. But if you look at the pictorial here, and you're going through that opening, and you ran out of air in the dark spot, oh yeah, uh, the tendency to go panic is uh, maybe accentuated. Mm-hmm. So I put a couple of these in here just from the aspect I always like to learn from somebody else's mistakes, so I hopefully won't do them. And so that's why I put a couple of these in here. Of it can happen to you, but generally you could have avoided it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they certainly could have avoided this. One of it is even if you went in with non-full tanks, why were they not? Why was she not watching her tank enough to where she got in trouble? And that wasn't necessarily really shallow either, was it? Um, it doesn't look shallow if that picture is where they're at. Well, if they did a rapid ascent the last twenty feet, that meant they were a lot deeper. Okay, she yeah. said ran out of air at fifty foot. Yeah, fifty foot. At fifty feet, I carry a bailout. Yes, just because. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and so she performed. She's so she's not on what in the U.S. we would typically dive an eighty. She's diving a sixty-three, which you know uh, a, a a really conservative air use in a female diver. Sixty-three can be enough, but not if it's half, especially at fifty feet. Yeah, I mean she had basically what I have in my bailout to start her dive, and I'm not going to go diving with my bailout at yeah. fifty foot. Well, then when then. Did it say? Did, it, did they say the husband had a full tank or? It did not. I, I'm guessing that neither of them. 
but then once she, you know, she so she runs out of air. You've got that where you're you're handing off your second stage. Uh, so now you're you're both excited because you've you've gone through the situation. So then you got two people on a what remains in his tank breathing it twice as quick. It's not good. I mean, it, it's fortunate they survived it. Again, I think you're lulled into a false sense of security because you're warm, you're comfortable, you have light, you have visibility. Yeah. And you don't realize you're at 50 feet. I can see the surface. Yeah. And here's another one for Dan. Heavy diver, no match for heavy seas. says heavy seas create a problem for overweight. The other gentleman said, you know, if you're not really current, you really need to be doing stuff to make sure that you can handle what you're going to be doing. Exercise. Yeah, it says and now I'm sorry, I'll let you go back to continuing. Yeah, it says heavy seas creates a problem for an overweight diabetic diver nearly drowns after ladder hits him on the head. The reported story, I took part of a wreck diving excursion, a charter boat in the Atlantic waves for five to six feet. Captain said there was a half knot current. Several divers, including myself, were seasick and decided not to dive. Some divers entered the water but cut their dives short. Several other overweight divers, however, completed their dives. I felt if they could... I could do it too. Someone advised that I'd be feel better as soon as I was in the water, so I decided to try it. I used a dry suit and double 108s with a wing. I entered the water last, just as the boat was calling off a second dive. I was advised to get below the current immediately, so I had no air in my dry suit or wing. The current was strong enough that divers went in holding a rope, and the first mate pulled them to the hangar bar. I believe the current was closer to three to four knots at the time. After a giant stride, I was pulled to the hang bar but could not swim into the current and realized I was in trouble. My inflator in the wing had gone over my back. I could not reach it. I did not think about using my dry suit inflator. I was kicking towards the surface and telling the mate I needed help. He wanted to pull me back to the hangar bar. Finally, the boat captain heard me, entered the water to assist me to the ladder. I could not make him understand that I needed my inflator. The sea seemed huge. I was seeing the starboard side of the prop from the port side of the boat. I have no (laughs) recollection of the journey to the... to the ladder but must have missed it because i was on the current rope on my back zooming to the end of it something was tugging my regulator and i was inhaling a mist of water and air after tremendous effort the operator my dive buddy i had a lad i had the ladder however my boat took a large wave turned me sideways the ladder hit me on the temple i saw my vision narrow to a yellow tinged tunnel i only remember my loss of my current line sinking in a mighty push of the feet reacquisition of line remember hearing shouts to get the ropes on me continued struggling finally i was on the rear platform I was exhausted could not move myself in the boat somehow others got me on the boat removed my dry suit gave me oxygen immediately for the duration of the return trip coast guard intercepted us on the way and put medics on board we continued to the u.s coast guard station to awaiting ambulance a hospital is diagnosed as saltwater partial drowning and given Continuous oxygen therapy. Later, I was transferred to another hospital where treatment continued. Medical personnel noted that I had numbers indicating kidney issue. They adjusted my existing medication. I am insulin-dependent diabetic, taking Humulin R500 as well as naproxen for joint pain. I was released the next day, went home to my own doctors, immediately admitted to the local hospital where they continued treatment for drowning, then renal failure, then final arterial fibrillation. I was in the hospital for about 10 days, continued to Kovalesque for nearly a month. The incident was my fault entirely. I made a poor decision at each point. I was seasick, dehydrated, overheated, diving with the wrong gear, determined to dive simply to avoid wasting the money, ignoring the experience of other divers who chose not to dive, accepting the notion that I'd feel better in the water 
and finally diving with no buoyancy. I have recovered completely, have made some dives since, and plan to continue diving you experience as a guide for my future decision. Wow. How many times could he have died? A lot. And it, he was in bad shape. I, I'm curious from the other people out there, in Atlantic or Pacific, five to six foot waves, is that common for divers out here? And when it's obvious, three to four knots current, is that common for, for charters or what do you call them, cattle boats? I'm, I'm gonna, just curious because I've never been on one. I'm going to say from my novice Great Lakes, as I've always heard that the Great Lakes waves are closer together than the ocean. So it could be that four to five feet in an ocean with a longer swell <coughs> yeah. may not seem to be as bad as like five five foot. I, I'm just not that interested. I'm not saving anybody's life. And there's nothing I can't come back to see another day. So why would I beat myself up in five foot waves? When we were commercial, if it was six feet, we did not dive, period. And if it was even close to that, you had to have a real good reason. But And we had total different situations. But can you imagine you getting in a dry suit, hot, and then putting doubles, 100, on your back? Well, that's what I'm wondering is it doesn't sound like he was an inexperienced diver. Or is he just a diver who bought a lot of gear early? Because to me, know. double 108s doesn't sound like a, you know, in a dry suit. That sounds like to me somebody who's had an investment and has some time diving. I would think so, but by the same token, good maintenance, you're going to have your inflator over your arm tagged out so you, it doesn't flip back over to the sides. I, I just didn't understand that part, how we lost it. Well, it maybe it was new gear. Was he borrowing somebody else's gear and you didn't have practice on it? Yeah. Uh, I'd have been drowned. Uh, you know, you put me in doubles like that, I'm screwed. Well, and he didn't, he, he just, it's it's amazing he didn't drown right there. I yeah. don't know how he grabbed onto the rope. Because you're right, in the current, three to four knots. And I've heard that down there sometimes that they'll do that, but they're doing a drift dive. So, yeah, you're in three to four knots, but, you know, it's kind of like when we do Cooper River. You, you, you're kind of, as, as long as you're traveling with the water, it doesn't, it's not that strong of a current. Yeah. Or it doesn't, you don't perceive it as strong because you're going the same speed as a current is. But you have to have everything together. You got to do your checklist. You have to be set. Did you go to the comments yet? Oh, uh, no. I'm, go ahead. I didn't realize how old he was. Oh, oh, you're talking about, yeah, down there. Uh, yeah. Five foot nine, 275 pounds. He's 67 years old. Oh, is he 67 too? Yeah, with medical conditions. With, with diabetes, with a heart condition. Now, when you go on a, a dive boat, don't they make you fill out some sort of form? I don't know. I've never been on a cattle boat. Because I, I know you'd have a hard time you'd have a hard time getting into a dive class with the conditions yeah. he's got. Well, I just look at the comments. It said bad judgments, both on the diver side and the dive operator side. I can concur with that wholeheartedly. Contribute to the accident. If the seas were so heavy, current was so strong, operator should have what they said is raised a yellow flag which would warn divers to abstain from diving. If they were not healthy and fit for the occasion, i.e. or e.g. overweight divers, older divers, diabetics, unfit divers, and beginners. Unfortunately, there was no established system in diving similar to the one used on public beaches or on ski slopes, which could help divers make proper decisions. You know, help divers make proper decisions, you should know that before you get in the freaking water. In this case, the diver was aware of all the issues, yet still used bad judgment. He is a 67-year-old experienced diver, 18 years of diving, Completely able to make responsible calls. Severe seasickness may have affected his judgment. That's another reason for dive operators to assist divers with their decisions. Now, Interesting. 
Now, there's a few things he said that I would have agreed with, and I may have even said. You know, when I'm not somebody who gets seasick all that often. If I'm seasick, I'm usually sick from something else, and it just happened to be on the water. Uh, I mean, I could, I've been in conditions where I know what seasickness is like. In fact, I can, I could make myself seasick if I wanted to. You know, get in a hot boat, have that gas smell going, Diesel find work sports. on something very fine, don't look at the horizon. Yeah, be down below decks. Get to, yeah, get down below deck, and man, you feel your stomach gurgling. Uh, talking, but, talking about that guy one more time, real quick. Uh huh. It said um, when explicitly asked, he said he had had a cardiac physical, including stress test, echogram six months prior to the incident, was cleared to dive. His normal blood pressure was 115 over 75 without medication. I would love to have that. Regardless of medical fitness, it's not very likely a five foot nine tall diver weighing 275 pounds carrying double 100s is physically fit for the challenges of direct diving in the graveyard of the Atlantic. Well, that's that's an MD and a doctor. You would have to say, I mean, I I find that amazing. If you're five nine, two seventy five pounds, to have that blood pressure, yeah, at medication at sixty seven, I'll take that. I don't know. I mean, I can tell you my last physical, which I my my doctor said, hey, you're doing better. Uh, it wasn't that good. No, I, I, I am, but well, I'm definitely not as heavy as this gentleman was, not by a lot. Yeah, he was lucky. Yeah, that lucky the diet the diabetic and the kidney problems. Wow. Yeah, but I, I'm all for it. I mean, a lot of times the reason you're in shape is so that you can do some of these diets. Yeah. So maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. We haven't heard, you know, what you know was he walking or running or something? It wasn't I? Don't, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, what does your obituary say? But he died doing what he loved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to be alive doing what I what I love. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to die. And then, then here was just an interesting article that I sent, and it kind of complements something that we've talked about, is what happens to your body when you have too much water? And what this is referring to is we've, we've seen a lot of articles about people who are uh, doing these world records, and you're, you're in the water for a long amount of time. And, wow. isn't it, Now, look, look at the, fi- the photo in there. I mean, that's wrinkles on wrinkles on wrinkles. Yeah, but if you put 10 days submerged in water, (laughs) what do you expect? Yeah, so this is a case of scuba diver uh, Tim Yarrow spent 10 days submerged in the water in a shopping mall in South Africa. After a week and a half in the water, the skin on Yarrow's hands began to disintegrate. As evident by the picture. Yes. The skin skin cells in your hands and feet are more prone to break down when they're exposed to too much water because they can contain more dead cells that absorb water more easily than the rest of the body in your skin. So I just, just the fact he was a scuba diver and saw that, and I I, I just had to, how many days was he in the water? Ten days? Ten days. Wow. I, I'd, I'd like to talk to him and find out, how, how does his hand, I mean, do you heal from that? Or is that like third-degree burns? I mean, does your body really ever completely recover? I really have not seen people like that, that the skin didn't slough off and you have all sorts of issues. And for those who are thinking about scuba diving, it's fine. This is not normal. You're not going to spend 11 days in the water or 10 days. I have a, I've, I have a hot tub. I'm trying to think if I've ever stayed in the water long enough to really get my hands. There's been a couple times where it was a little more wrinkled than normal, but not nearly anywhere close to that. Yeah. Oh, and then you have a regulator inadvertently kicked out of your mouth by your buddy. What's that about? Well, like you said, it's happened to you before. Yeah. 
Yeah, and in fact, I I need to find out what episode it was. I think it was after we recorded the episode. Uh, It was about the time that you were getting Jim Kleeman and I interested in diving in Eleni Bay. And he he and I went out there and, you know, rookie young divers. And we were shallow, low-vis divers, cold-water divers. We were, I don't say we're used to it, but we were... We were expecting the conditions and felt comfortable in it. Now you guys tolerated it very well. And uh, but in the process, <laughs> I think as the story goes, I had found because you know, we we were I don't say I don't know if it's possible to be over watching, but we were really into the buddies system and you know trying to keep each other visible. And we're, as we're doing this, we're also grubbing, so we're making this zigzag pattern in the bottom where. Anything behind us, there's no visibility. And uh, earlier in a dive, I think he had bumped or kicked my regulator out, and I was able to sweep back, grab it, uh, and, you know, no big deal. No harm, no foul. And we continued out of the dive, and then uh, I think we got just a slight bit separated, and uh, I had found an anchor. So I'm holding on to this anchor underwater, and then he came, you know, he, he got, I mean, three feet from me. And then turned around instantly realized he couldn't see me, came back. And then he couldn't see that I was trying to get the anchor out, and he thought something was up. So he decided he was going to pull me to the surface. So I've got this anchor, which is wedged into the muck bottom in one hand, and him pulling me on the other to get me up. And then in the process, kicked my regulator out. (laughs) Of which I did then decide it was okay to come to the surface. And I wasn't able to sweep and get the regulator that time. Without the anchor? I can't remember if I had the anchor or not. I'd love to listen to that podcast. <laughs> I may have brought the anchor with me. I don't think I did. I think even if I had the anchor, I think I'd have dropped it about halfway up at that point. I'm going to decide breathing's better than an anchor. I would concur. So this one is a Dan article. It says, regulator inadvertently kicked out of the mouth by a buddy. Diver lost his primary regulator due to interaction with a buddy and could not use a secondary regulator, which got entangled in a bungee cord necklace, which is something that many of us wear. Yep. The incident took place halfway through the cave, uh, no, I say cave, through a dive at a depth of 60 feet. The Lock 21 dive suit is a f- site is a fairly easy place to dive, even though it's situated in rather cold water, 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, by the way, warm water. Visibility is limited and happened to be the worst that day, a maximum of five feet, which we call good visibility with heavy currents. Outside temperature of the water was a warm 90 degrees Fahrenheit. I dive these waters with a full 7 mil wetsuit, hood, gloves, boots, my octopus set up around my neck, hanging a bungee cord necklace. Our regulators has been serviced and tested because of the poor visibility for safety reasons. My buddy and I stuck pretty close to each other. Even though we're familiar with the site, we wanted to avoid being separated due to unusually poor conditions. As we reached the end of the structure, my buddy decided to make a sharp ascent swim over the high wall. This wall is approximately 20 feet high with the current above it can get extremely strong. As she pushed herself in the vertical vertical position, her left heel violently kicked me in the face, knocking the regulator out of my mouth. As she kept ascending, I started looking for my regular hose, leaning on the side a bit as it taught in her courses to no avail. Since I had just exhaled, I needed an air so- source urgently. I then quickly reached for my octopus, which was hanging around my neck. For some reason, it was stuck, and I could not untangle it. As panic set in, I managed to flip the octopus mouth piece towards my mouth and bite into it gently getting some air unfortunately swallowing quite a bit of water in the process with a small amount of air i reached for my buddy's fin which is when she noticed my distress and passed on her octopus she finally entangled my regulator which got stuck together with my octopus and we decided to keep diving as planned so 
I always like the diver comments at the end of it, lessons learned. It says, many elements contributed to this incident happening. I kept a better relative position to her. I would have avoided the kick altogether. And because of the extreme hot temperature out of the water, I had practically taken off my hood prior to dive, which created a large crease where the bungee cord got stuck. Moreover, the same bungee cord was tightened around the octopus mouthpiece more than usual. It's just been service, making it harder to release it. Finally, I had this rather unusual scenario. I was not prepared for it. As everything happened very quickly, I did not realize my regulator got kicked straight down. I had no idea where it vanished to. As the position made it very difficult for me to access my octopus, which I was confident I could have relied on. Now, one thing that I do is that I always breathe off my secondary regulator, and I think that my practice would have prevented what they ran into. So I'll, I've got, I've got my, my secondary, which is on it, which is on the same as they have it around my neck and a bungee. But I will breathe off that just to make sure that it goes. And, and then I, I have my. Say, I've got in the habit. I do not use an octopus. I have a backup, you know, my bailout system with its own regulator and everything with it. And the reason have, that is because I've experienced free flows from my octopus when we're doing fast current. Mm-hmm. and or river stuff, river work. So, and I found it to be more of a hassle or a, and a, a hazard than a, a knot. Okay, so you're not doing an octopus. No, not generally. Not not in, like I said, in current. In, in, in current water. In, or, uh, in, in I, just, but I do have a bailout. Yeah, and just a reminder to our listeners, we're not saying dive like us. <laughs> Get your training through your, your agency. Because I'm, I'm going to think almost all agencies are going to – they pitch the two second stages uh but you're you but you've got a spare so if you if you were uh, diving with a buddy would that be who what you'd use yeah you'd, you'd offer them your primary and then you'd breathe off, breathe off the uh bailout i would depend on the amount of panic he got because <laughs> generally <laughs> you know if you need air he's going to rip it out of your mouth yeah well and, and that's why i do the long hose well i have a long hose on that one so yeah. if you did you you're going to be a little bit away from me and I yeah. got that sling bottle right there, yeah. on my left side, right under my. And and you breast. can always bash them over the head with this with the other bottle too, if you need to, to knock them out. Uh, the bang stick works pretty good. Bang stick, <laughs> yeah. We're getting everybody wants to dive with us now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's. But I can understand. I've been in that situation, and I think I was probably a little bit more of a novice diver than they were. I that was probably less than twenty dives for me when Jim and I had that situation. But we did it. I think we did okay. Yep. And I remember the discussion afterwards when we went to the tavern around the corner to have oh, lunch. Were, were you diving with us that day? Yes, I was. I remember that specifically. <laughs> I what if you guys lost a mask out there too on one of your dives? I don't think that was that week. I think that no, was. No, not that week. But yeah, but that, that's the same location. Somewhere there's yep. one of my masks there. And I'm still diving with that with that other mask that I've had that Jim donated to me after it. I need. I'm. I'm due for an upgrade on just about everything. Now that I got the drive suit, I can start. Wow, we're we're not even halfway through the stuff. Is there anything you want to kick uh, get to? Because I think maybe we'll. No, the major items I want to do is I like to go through the case histories of uh, what not to do anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, lessons learned because I review that and then I'll hopefully remember not to do that, not to overthink something to get too too overconfident. Because well, I've done it last year. I can do it again. Yeah. Try not to get into that mode. Well, we, so I think got, we've covered the items I want. 
Yeah, we've got a lot of articles, and I think we're going to save quite a few of these for next week. We have some on shipwrecks and turtles and all sorts of things, fish visiting divers. But we're hitting that time of year where the the newspapers are picking up on it, which means it's also time for people to go out there and and do some diving. We have some videos. Um, How about we talk about the interesting person of the week? Excuse me. I'm sorry. Say again. Let's talk about that interesting person of the week. You had uh, somebody highlighted underwater photographer, videographer at Liquid Production. Yeah, it's Becky, I think it's Kagan, K-A-G-A-N, mm-hmm. and it's S-C-O, or S-C-H-O-T-T. She, like I said, she's an underwater photographer and videographer for Liquid Productions. And if you're on Facebook, look her up. I think you're going to find her pictures are, out, are, are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, her diving is nice. Uh, you're talking rebreathers, so if you like to look at some of the equipment, and besides, I like to watch the young ladies dive. Well, did you see what uh, she had I for dinner up. tonight? Say what? Have you, did you visit her website tonight, or the Facebook yes. page? Yeah, I did. Isn't that sandwich amazing? <laughs> Two hours ago. this this Somebody's going to tell tell her that they heard us talk about her on the on, on the podcast, and the only thing that, she, that we mentioned was the the sandwich that she had, but it makes me hungry. <laughs> uh, now, as I scroll down and do see her photos, she does have some amazing photos. I love the one yes. of that uh, schooner. Was it a schooner two, two, two mass? Yes. Ah, the like, Windy 8. Like, like you said, when you can be doing deco at 100 feet mm-hmm. and you're still on the wreck because, you know, that's how high the mast is. Yes. That photo is, is just simply gorgeous. So she's pitching and she's got a dive on July 2nd. Yeah. And then I look, she's got mutual friends with, with us. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those, we need to get the little, you know, the Facebook address to you. So you, when you're listening, you can always cycle over to it and say, oh, yeah, now I see oh, what you're talking about. Look at that. That, that was, There's another one. Like you said, that mast on there, that that's, that's, that's one of those. I'm not a tech diver, but I do need to get and do some of that. So excellent photos. Glad she's yeah, out the there. Sam- the sandwich wasn't there, by the way, when I get that earlier. You didn't? No, that wasn't what motivated you? True. Uh, the one right under it, that, the Wingate? Yes. Beautiful shot. I, I just can't imagine that. Yeah, so and then if you saw the, shot. the seals yep. and the one with the underwater DPVs, mm-hmm. very nice shots. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Definitely a hardcore diver. Yep. And I think she likes the Megalodon. Yeah, those were breather divers, I tell you. I like the Megalodon too. Yeah, I don't think I've I haven't tried that one. Not that I've tried a lot, but I've I've got a couple rebreathers. It's, it's on my list. You know, maybe once I get to, you know, my 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 daughter who we're getting to the point now where she's starting to figure out schools. Uh, I don't know how. All I can see is dollar signs now. She she wants to be a doctor. That's not going to be quick. Make her specialty geriatrics. <laughs> Well, right now she's 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 picked about five specialties. Originally, she started out as veterinary medicine, but she's actually moved on to the human species now. Uh, and uh, neurologist, I think, is the, one of the more recent ones. So we'll see. Uh, let's see any cool new gear. Uh, I, I think we can cover. Is there anything you wish to cover tonight? Well, the one I did, I got to find my notes real quick here. I went searching around for something else, so now I can't find what I want. Yeah, there's there's one. there's three or four we've got that we'll pick one of them. All right, where's my little? Oh, okay. The first one was the titanium three atomic aquatics. Mm-hmm. The reason I picked that is the price for that 
is one thousand seven hundred and fifty bucks. Okay, that's more than I'm paying for my cyclones and my, you know, what I consider really good stuff. Uh-huh. So I haven't seen the dynamics on this one. I just did a cursory. It looks outstanding, but I'd love to see what the breathing characteristics are. It has its own cold water environment, titanium body, but that's pretty freaking salty. It seventeen hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, that is that's in a premium price range. Um, I would say it's in the upper, upper, upper of a premium, considering that's not a full face mask. No, I'm. I didn't spend on mine, and I got a cold water regulator set. I'm going to guess I was probably $1,200, and that included a computer. This one here I thought was interesting because it had a three-year, 300-dive sequence interval, non-contingent lifetime warranty, meaning longer wait between recommended servicing. That's the first time I've seen it because most everything says they've got to do it every year. I think, this one doesn't. I think part of the reason from it, I mean, ignore the conspiracy that they want to make you service it. I think it's more of a memory thing. How do people remember because realistically, I think I think the most damaging for a regulator is the lack of use. So if you take a regulator and you go dive in Florida and you don't rinse it out and you sit it in your closet so that it, it percolates, I think I would bet even this one would have a problem for next year. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it's on a yearly cycle. Because a year, if you're abusing gear, uh, you really need to have the serviced every year just to high, find that out. Well, I mean, like at the bottom... Poseidon Jetstream Mark III was eight hundred twenty bucks. Atomics B two eight hundred bucks. Now is that Poseidon and that so the Poseidon Jetstream MK three? Yep. Is that for the first stage and a second stage? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. So that Atomic to be at seventeen hundred, that's a lot. Maybe somebody I, from Atomic can contact us and and sell us on that. I mean, the construction and all that is interesting. But you still got O-rings, and I haven't seen what kind of diaphragm they have in it. But you know, and I like their ports. You got what two high pressures and five uh, low pressure. Yeah. So I mean, you got a lot of options. Well, you got a lot of options, but is that options just so that you can choose which way to route them, or do you really need five low pressures? So uh, depends. So if you got dry suit, first stage, first or stage, your, your primary, your octopus, you got your BC inflator. You've got your low pressure to your dry suit, and then maybe you're using a uh, a uh, gauge. Well, that but that would be a high pressure. I was going to say. Then you got right, and they got two high pressure fix. So one could be for your physical gauge, and another could be for an electronic gauge. Yeah, and then if you took the last one, you could always use your fill line port, so you can put out. You know, um, so if you're doing a lift bag, you don't use your regulator. You use oh, fill line yeah. with the nipple on it. So I can use all of those ports. Uh, it said the first stage port and uh, on a swivel cap. What's a swivel ca- cap? Is that well, the... Take a look at it so it'll rotate. So your orientation on your, once you got your yoke on. Oh, okay. That's what I'm oh, assuming. I, I see it. Yeah, I can see it there. They got the ports. And it's, it looks like you had a slight tuning on the regulator breathing. Yeah, which is getting to be common with your fancier regulators now. Yeah, but that, I, I looked at it and said $1,700. I want to see a little more review before I would pay Same. that. Nitox is ready to 40%. I think most regulators are going to be that way. Yep. Factory sealed first stage. I mean, they're all factory sealed when they come to the factory, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'm just trying to, I'm looking through the stuff. Freeze protected, prevents, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same <laughs> thing, repeating themselves. All the titanium. That, I mean, maybe it's a titanium that's adding the price. I don't know. The other aspect I thought, I didn't know what this meant. Lowers breathing, uh, significantly lowers breathing effort at any depth from shallow to beyond the limits. So I don't know what beyond the limits are. Do they mean sport limit of 130? Well, most modern regulators, you can't breathe out, out breathe the second stage anyway. And I know some of them have run these tests where they're doing 10 times that you can breathe, but... You know, the the one I've got, uh, I know the Poseidons, I know, you know, and this one, they're all, I'm, I'm going to guess they're about the same. Because what they're doing is some of them are over-tuning, or not say over-tuning, they, they run with a higher pressure off your first stage. So your second stage has more, you know, high pressure air to work with to deliver. All I know is at 100 feet, when you start doing a lot of manual labor, you want a real good regulator because you can outbreathe those suckers, and it's an uncomfortable feeling. Now, you think that's even the same with the modern ones now? No, I mean that's why I got my Poseidon's and stuff. Oh, okay. it's, you're going to have to really outdo yourself if you want to outbreathe yeah. that. So I think now when people think they're outbreathing the regulator, it's more of a just you're out of shape and just the knowledge that you're underwater. It's a psychological thing at this point. Because I think most of the modern regulators are able to deliver so much air. In fact, uh, I mean, my, I'd be afraid at 120 feet, if you're out breathing the regulator, you're probably emptying the tank, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 1749. It was interesting, and that's why I put it there. It's like, does anybody have any, you know, history with that one? Because I'd be very curious to know. I, I, I do like the look and the marketing of Atomic. I followed them for a while. Uh you know, so I do, I, I think maybe this is just them trying to be a premium brand. Yeah. And one other item I still is, it's awkward. It's almost like our uh, underwater breathing mechanism we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the one that says revolutionary snorkel allows longer breath holes. Go to that one because I do not understand the dynamics of what they're trying to tell me. I do not see it. It's called breathe like you never thought imaginable. It says relaxed respiratory rates drop 32%. Breath hold times increase 22%. And I'm looking at the diagram and the cutaway of this snorkel, and I want somebody to tell me how that works, that you can do that 32% relaxed rate for your respiratory. So this is, the website is kapitolreef.com. And when you first described it, I was thinking it was one of those newer uh, snorkels where they're they're running it around both sides of the head to the back, but this is a looks like a traditional snorkel. Um, it's a double barrel inside. A double. You got barrel. a downward sweep for the air and an outward sweep for the exhalation. Down. Okay, so I see that what they're doing is they've got they've got the it lined. So what's happening as you exhale out? You're exhaling out through the middle. And it also looks like they have a trap so that you're not getting water. And then you have air going around the outside. But if you got the, if you're exhaling out, then you really don't need that trap anymore because you're eliminating some of the problem of why you breathe in water anyway. If you go underwater with that and you're still going to have to exhale, you know, to blow it out, seems like you've doubled the force, resistance force to do that with that configuration. Well, also, I think what's happening is. If your air is only going out the exhale, your inhale, your inhales where you don't want the water, how are you getting clearing that out when it can only breathe in? So unless that 
Oh, I think that's probably why they do that. That they have that trap. They've kind of designed it so that any of the water would drip. So they've got a a one way valve system that should seal pretty quickly. Well, that's only so when you come up, it self drains. Well, well, you you got self drain, but then also the way that that comes, it will drain in the bottom, and as you exhale, it should be blowing water out. That, that I don't trap. think so. Yeah, I think if you blow hard enough, it will. But I don't know. I, I oh, true, I but to... how do you get? A respiratory rate to drop 32% and your breath hold times 22% from that snorkel. I don't understand. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to, to look. It says, invented by a doctor, the system uses a patented cadence technology to help you breathe easier and conquer the dreaded snorkel panic that divers experience traditional <laughs> snorkels. We accomplish this by using a naturally pressurized chamber from the water pressure keep your lungs at full capacity as added bonus we've we've proven that this will also allow you to hold your breath 22 percent longer for deeper and safer dive i so, agree with you nothing else, i want people to look on that site and tell me what is so obvious to everybody else because i do not see what the heck no, they're doing. I, you're it's not like you can breathe from the snorkel underwater unless they're saying that <laughs> I mean, you, I, I mean, because how would you increase it? You'd have to have some extra capacity. So unless they're just saying, unless that's some number they've determined that if if you take a stressed snorkeler and a relaxed snorkeler and you say that a, a relaxed snorkeler can do these things regardless of the snorkel, then maybe you could make that pitch. But I'm not seeing anything. Uh, I think what they're going after is that you've got a person who's Buying gear for the first time, they want to do a trip, and when you're comparing anything, I want the one that gives me 32% better respiratory and breath hold times that are 22% longer. I want the better one. Yeah, whatever that means. Right. But I don't, I agree with you. I don't think that this, there's nothing I've, there's things in here that could be a better snorkel design. I just don't think that it translates into the numbers they're saying. Yeah. So anybody out there, take a look. It's KAP. I-T-O-L-R-E-E-F dot com. And if you've got one and tried it, let us know. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. I've, that's even better. Somebody who's tried it, yeah. let me know what the heck they're talking yeah, about. But I'm not seeing anything. I mean, if, that, if you just held that snorkel up, I would have thought that's like any normal, moderate snorkel. Yeah, twenty four ninety five is what they're costing here on sale. Yeah, it's not, I mean, that's the... About a moderate range. I mean, there's nothing exotic about that. You can get them cheaper. You can get them more expensive. That's yeah. a name brand snorkel price. Oh, that's the only other item. It's just I didn't understand it, so I thought I'd ask. Yeah. Okay. So I think we'll we'll catch up. We got some other articles. We'll catch up now. It won't we? Won't be having a podcast next week or the week after because uh, I'm in robotics competition. Um, well, at least I'm saying that now. Next week is our second competition. We're within just a few points of already qualifying for state. If we go to state competition, we immediately turn around and head to state, which is at Grand Rapids, Michigan, for first robotics. If we do well enough at that, which 80% of the teams who make the state will go to nationals, which is in St. Louis, Missouri, that is following two weeks. So there will be a week in between where we'll do a podcast and then have another break. So it is hectic. We're getting ready for the build season. So for sure the 21st is the next one. Yeah, so the, so the next one, next Thursday I'll be in Ann Arbor. The following week will be, unless something goes drastically wrong, we'll be in Grand Rapids. Then we'll have a week where we'll be back, and if we made Grand Rapids, we most likely made uh, Nationals in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, maybe, okay. maybe we'll do something. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to try to figure out a way to record something. 
in between. I'll just take your laptop. Yes. Do Skype. Yeah, maybe maybe we can. Uh, we'll see. Well, the, the funny thing, the uh, the thing is when we're at competitions, we don't get even. We're we're, we're working until ten o'clock every night. It's that intense. Maybe I'll maybe I'll drop in the Twitter feed if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I'll drop the link and you can watch the live tournaments. It's it's unbelievable. If anybody told me about the robotics competition, imagine a sport, but it's robots. It's it's hard to even describe. Excellent program. I, I certainly they they actually did have it when I was a kid, but we weren't doing it. It's uh, been in existence for 22 years. Dean came in, the inventor of the Segway, came up with the program, and it continues to to grow and good program. So the dive uh, season kicking off, we have people getting in the water all over the place. Did you get any diving in? I got some river work in this week. Kevin's been uh, his normal active self. He's been on the Havana already. He's been on the Havana already? Yes, sir. Excellent. Good visibility job. sucked big time. God, see, that's disappointing. They had like five visibility on the surface, and as they went deeper, it got dark. And I know what he's talking about because I've done that. I've been on those dives, too. Because uh, Havana is what fifty some feet? Uh, actually, it's now about forty nine. It's under fifty foot. Oh, it's under fifty. It's okay. shallower as the weeks go by. But there'll be times where you'll go on that that dive and it starts getting dark, and you know when it gets dark, it's not a good sign. That means you got some low vis. Yeah, and he's been back at Woods in Kalamazoo, uh, up at Reed, diving that shipwreck up there, the inland uh, shipwreck. Yep. So he's been getting out there pretty good. Now, now in the one on. Uh, on Reed, is he is he working with the university on that one? He was not for for now. He was go, he was out there trying to get some more good videos. Uh huh. And I think uh, Deb was diving with him as the uh, lady that dove uh, during our ice dives with us. Okay. Rescue diver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she also dove with him on the Havana. Excellent. And the river was not bad. I mean, I I had three foot viz. Uh, the current was not bad. It was in the uh, not the, uh, well, Pawpaw River that feeds into St. Joe. Yes. That's where I was at. Yeah, well, I think if you go today, it's a little bit different story. Well, yeah, it's less than three feet today. Uh, and it's getting up there, it's probably 44 degrees maybe, meaning the lips got a little chilly, but the body was fine. Yeah, it's, we're, we're getting that time of the season now. Of, even if you don't like cold weather diving, and when we say cold weather diving, we're talking 33 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh it, it's warming up. It's only going to get warmer. It's almost getting to the part people can do their wetsuits. 50 seems to be the magic number for the wetsuit. 50? When yeah. I had a wetsuit in my day, yeah. Well, without, without any special stuff, 50 is fine. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're good okay. for a good dive. Yeah. Yeah. But now that I got a dry suit, it's like everything's a dry suit. <laughs> I'm trying to think of when the last time I was I used a wetsuit. It's probably been over a year. I still have my wetsuit. It's it's hanging around. It looks pretty sad, though. It's pretty tattered. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's bad like... enough. I don't think you got enough surface area to use for patches. <laughs> if I use patches on it, it'd be more patches than than wetsuit. Well, we also had the uh, open house for for wolves. How'd that go? Uh, I went both days. I wound up talking to people, and that was always the fun part. So they had uh, they liked it when it's a little chilly because if it's too warm, people go out and do stuff outside, like play golf. Yeah. So when it's too chilly to go out there and play, then they come to the uh, open house, which they did. Excellent. And I saw that they had some good deals going down there. So if you were looking for used gear, they had broken some out of the back room. Yeah. And were given some awesome deals on it. So if you were into, needed a dry suit or some other equipment, 
And the shop's looking nice. We need to get some updated photos on on the website. I have some. I'll be posting those soon in the club site. Excellent. So time to get your gear serviced. It hasn't been serviced. What are you waiting for? That regulator, that tank that might need a viz, get it in your dive shop now. They'll love or to see hydro. it. Or a hydro. Or a hydro. Yeah, if you got a hydro coming due, you better get it in. In fact, I think the next time I drain one of my tanks, it's probably due for hydro again. Yeah. Uh, they seem to come in batches, don't they? Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably half done with all the extra... 30 cubic foot bailouts. Mm-hmm. I think he sold half of them now. Yeah, that was a good deal. Yes. God, I need to, it's like those, are, that's exactly the deal I need to do. I just didn't have the spare cash at the moment. So well, first come, first served. A, I don't know. You can always do a you know, payment plan. Oh, yeah. I, I bought my first ones from Wolf's many, many, many years ago on a payment plan. That's, that's my first, I mean, I've done, well, I'm saying I've done that. I don't think I've ever done that on uh, Dive Gear. I don't think I've ever bought, Anything on time. It's been cash up front, and here you go. And everything I bought was used. Well, a lot of what I bought. My my regulator, my dive computer, and my first two tanks were all new. The tanks I bought at different times, but they were all new. Because the dive shop that I bought them from was giving you the, you buy the tank and you got air for the first year for free. And I'm like, that, that pay, you know, when you're diving every week, that that's like free. It's like a free tank. Yeah. Uh, the problem I ran into is that they then the next year moved farther away from me and I was working, you know, about 50 miles from them. So the gas cost was cheaper to get air at another dive shop than it was to dive to theirs to get the free air, which is just the nature of how things go. Um, yeah, I, I, I bail out the bailout and another regulator is the next on my, my list. And he's got some good regulators that they've rebuilt some nice, they're a little bit older models, but they're still, I mean, a, a Poseidon that's been serviced is still even old as good. Well, once again, we'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air. If you're into hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, they've got something going on all the time, 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Reno Viola Outdoors, WRVO Radio. And then if you like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goobobsessed. We love to add new listeners to the program all the time. Uh, we're also on iTunes, love those five-star reviews, and the website is www.scubobsess.com. And at some point, I will update that, we'll, you know, maybe by August or November or January or something around that, those lines, I'll be able to get to it. Or if you're a bored person and you want to learn about the Internet, I will train you how to do that. <laughs> always, always looking for volunteers, interns, slash free labor to help out. I'm still working on the video podcast, but doing more research, and it's one of those things that as your standards increase and your knowledge expands, you realize how much work it is. <laughs> so we'll be doing it. There's a lot going on right now with video technology, trying to take advantage of it. You have anything to plug, Mac? Uh, no, sir. Not at this particular time. Yeah. I know uh, it'll be April, and there's no reason not to be diving. It's April. Yeah. There's no hard water out there. No. No hard water. We, In the fact, I, I think with the balance of things coming out, at some point, we'll have to have some viz. It's disappointing when you can't start off the early season with good viz, but you can't count on it at any time. It's, it, yeah. it usually is almost like a magical fairy thing when the currents are moving right and the temperature's right and the thermocline is right. We That may be what we need. We need to get a good thermocline formed. Yeah. Get one about 8 to 10 feet above the shipwreck always seems to be about the best. <laughs> If we can keep the gobies off the bottom from screwing oh, it up. Oh, the gobies. Can we bring? Can we import something to eat the gobies? Uh, we have enough problems with importing things anyway. What, what could possibly go wrong? 
Yeah. <laughs> Freshwater shark. <laughs> oh, maybe a genetically modified lamprey that only attacked gobies. And scuba divers. Yeah, and scuba. Okay, well, I think uh, unless we we don't have anything else to pitch, it's time for that time of the show. Yes, sir. Okay, here here it is. Two scuba divers are taking their first train trip to a southern dive location. A vendor came down the corridor selling bananas, which they had never seen before. Each bought one. Their first one eagerly peeled the banana bit into it just as the train went in the tunnel. When the train emerged from the tunnel, he looked across his friend and said, I, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. Why not? I took one bite out of mine and went blind for half a minute. Uh, sounds like some of those cattle boat divers. Yeah. Yeah, 208 eight tanks and jumping in high current. Uh, that was cute. I like that one. <laughs> we got more. I got two or three. I'm all lined up for the next few weeks. Or next few times when we're, we're on the podcast again. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Stay safe.